What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coaches Network. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast. A podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the episode of the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest for me today. My guest this afternoon is Robin Drake. Robin, how are you? Robin, yeah, doing well, Coach Yas. How are you? Yeah, all good, man. Um, what time are you on over there? Uh, I am in Virginia, so I'm the eastern time zone of the United States. Brilliant. So right now it is 10.09 a.m. So I've got my right, cup man. of coffee, already did a workout. I'm feeling good. Excellent. Robin, you know, we're here for, uh, you know, a fascinating conversation. I'm sure it's going to be um, around this idea of building rapport and trust. Yep. Just before we get to that, um, would you mind just sharing a bit of a background around who you are, what you do and how you've got to where you've got to and we can kind of maybe dissect from there. Yeah, you betcha. Um, so currently, I'm the CEO and founder of People Formula, which is my company, which is uh, I'm all about continuing learning and educating uh, through coaching, online training and, and webinars and such all about rapport, trust, relationship building and p- building great, healthy, organic partnerships. That all came about, though, from my background, which is um, United States Naval Academy graduate. From there, I went into the Marine Corps of the United States. From the Marine Corps, I went, went into the FBI. While I was in the FBI, I served over 21 years, did my career and retired, and I did nothing but counterintelligence work. So my job for over 21 years was to recruit spies. And while I was in the FBI recruiting spies, I got on what's called the behavioral analysis program for counterintelligence. So it's kind of, we're not profilers, we're strategists, we're relationship strategists. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Relationship strategists uh, for all the things around the world of counterintelligence, like recruitment operations, double agent operations, espionage interviews, all the hooky spooky spy stuff. Then back in uh, 2010, I took over the team as the chief of it. And so I ran the team for a number of years and um, what I learned throughout this entire time, including a, a, a long stint at Quantico teaching all this, was that, yes, I am a type A hard charging guy, no doubt. Um, and the problem is if you're going to t- sell the toughest product in the world, which is patriotism to foreign spies, with that kind of attitude, you're going to fail majestically. 
It takes a great amount of relationship building, uh, ego suspension, self-awareness, and most importantly, the ability to develop and inspire organic, genuine trust. Believe it or not, I'm the guy that is anti-manipulation, anti-subterfuge, all that, because all that stuff destroys trust, no trust, nothing moves forward in life. Excellent. Thank you very much for that brief intro. And, uh, you know, I think it's quite fascinating how, um, you know, you're in this space anyway, you know, I, I really want to kind of take today as an opportunity to kind of delve deeper into some of your expertise and your insights um, through your, through your journey. Um, and maybe, you know, look to maybe potentially draw some comparisons and uh, I guess uh, ways which we can link that into the world of sports culture. Um, Absolutely. Um, you know, so my background is, you know, I'm a football coach or, you know, soccer, as you guys know it over there. Um, and you know, a large, a large amount of the audience that listens to this podcast are, you know, very similar uh, in that the sports coaches, and then maybe looking at ways in which you can develop, not just from the technical and tactical standpoints, you know, your typical X's and O's, if you like, but actually holistically. And you know, some of this stuff really taps into that social and psych element of, um, you know, building that rapport and trust with your athletes, and you know, creating a, a more positive and uh, developmental environment, if you like. So, you know, to kind absolutely. Of- Oh, it's often, you know, uh, what would you say is uh, in your, you know, I'm always curious to ask this because everyone's got different definitions. We've got a dictionary definition, but I want to know from your perspective, Robin Dree, what is, what is rapport and what is trust to you? Um, rapport and trust are very simply the ability that we have to understand other people from their point of view. So it's empathy and it's a, and in empathy, we have both the cognitive empathy as well as the emotional empathy. And when you combine that with, uh, I'm, have a very stoic outlook on things, you know, the understanding and cause effect of human behavior. Uh, um, so you can just observe what is, is, and when you put all these things together uh, with also the stoic philosophy of ego suspension, so that you understand how to shift the focus from yourself to others genuinely and organically therein lies you start building trust and part of that is understanding the goals and priorities of others their needs wants dreams and aspirations and as long as i'm offering you resources genuinely and sincerely in terms of their your priorities we're going to start having a relationship we're going to start having trust and if i do so with transparency and vulnerability there you go that's the bedrock of where it all begins not a second and just on that piece then you know you talked there about that vulnerability, you know, I, I find myself, you know, becoming more and more vulnerable with the, with the players and athletes that I work with. And I found that it's having a profound impact in that. Yeah. That they're seeing me on that journey with them rather than me just taking them on a journey that I, I'm deciding where we're going to end up, if you like. Um, so I guess, you know, that, that piece there, that vulnerability piece, just can you mind just talking to how important that is and what are some of the ways in which we can kind of be more vulnerable? Because I think as coaches and, you know, whether that be in the sports world or even in the corporate world, if you like, uh, in, a, in, in a leadership position, we generally, I think even as males, to be fair, we, you know, we see vulnerability as a sign of weakness. You know, yeah. The perception is vulnerability can be a sign of weakness. Absolutely. But actually, you know, it's probably incredibly, if anything, it's probably the opposite. Yeah. And, you know, societal norms say we can't do that. We shouldn't do that and demonstrate vulnerability. But here's the, here's the genetic and biological truth of this entire thing is, we all suck at something. Right. <laughs> and those that try to pretend they aren't are doing nothing but fooling themselves. And so when you're pretending that you don't have things that you're working on, again, vulnerability isn't saying, oh, woe is me, or vulnerability isn't saying I'm soft or weak. No, vulnerability is just owning mm-hmm. what you're not as good at and that you're trying to improve upon. 
And so demonstrating that you actually have transparency with what that is in you and that you actually have a program and a, and a passion to move forward in it, that's demonstrating vulnerability. So, the, I mean, who's most coachable? Those with ego suspension and actually can understand what they suck at and you actually give them co drills and routines to work on because they know they aren't that good at it or those that are pretending they already got this down and figured out. I'm going with the one that understands where they're at. Yeah, 100%. And, and as a coach, as a leader, it's the same thing. No one expects you to be perfect because no one is. And to pretend you're not, it's, it's fallacy. I mean, if, so if a coach, a leader, anything had all the answers, there wouldn't be anyone else leading in an organization on a team. You have, I mean, so you have, you know, like an American football analogy, you have the, the coach and then you have the lineman coach, you have the receiver coach, you have the quarterback coach because, Everyone has their expertise mm -hmm. because, and here's the greatest thing too, is people that are self-aware and honest with themselves and honest with others, so the things that they aren't as good at, they start to become the masters of those things. I mean, you know, so this type A background I have, you know, I am hardwired to be extremely self-centered and self-serving, you know, and I, I, my three books I've written are, I literally call them my manuals on how not to be the self-centered narcissist I was born to be because by I was just always thinking about conquer, 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 win, 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 and didn't understand that in order to achieve anything, I needed relationships. In order to have relationships, mm -hmm. I need trust. And so it literally took me building new muscle memory around doing those things and demonstrating transparency and vulnerability is one of those aspects of it. And just on that, you talked about, you know, having to come across to that way of thinking, if you like, and, you know, what was it for you that maybe what experience was it that maybe stopped you in your tracks a little bit and you had a, an epiphany or a light bulb moment where you thought, actually, the way I'm doing this isn't working. Yeah. Um, continual failure. <laughs> you know, when it comes down to the only thing I, I think I was given as a gift, because we all we're all born with at least one great gift, one superpower. Um, mine, I think, landed in the area of I owned it. You know, every time something went sideways in my life, I never thought myself the victim. I never thought anyone else was messed up. I said, what did I do to cause that negative behavior? And if you keep causing a lot of people to have a negative behavior with you over a period of time, you're going to start looking in the mirror a lot better. You know, mm -hmm. and probably the, the biggest moment was um, in, when I was a junior officer in the United States Marine Corps as a second lieutenant. And as a Naval Academy graduate, I'm thinking I am the bomb. I am the guy. I am this great natural born leader. I watched all the movies. I went to this great institution. I love being a Marine. I got this figured out. When I got to my first evaluation um, by my reporting officer, my major, I was ranked dead last, 14 out of 14 second lieutenants. And instead of whining, complaining, or the Marine Corps doesn't tolerate that anyway, I went up to him and said, all right, what am I doing wrong? And he said, well, that's easy. You just need to be a better leader. You suck. I was like, all right, I thought I wasn't. What exactly do I need to do? And he goes, oh, that's easy too. You just have to make it about everyone else but yourself. I was like, mm -hmm. all right, I thought I was. How do you do that? And he goes, I don't know, figure it out. And so here's what he didn't know what to tell me. That's why my entire life has been placing meanings and explanations behind behavior so they can, be they can become repeatable. So part of this, and, and you experience it massively when you coach and when you have a team is, 
We all are genetically and biologically coded to want to belong to meaningful groups and organizations and be valued by those groups and organizations. In other words, that's how you make it about someone else is you demonstrate value and you demonstrate affiliation because our ancient tribal brain says that's good for our survival. The endorphins flow, the serotonin flows, the oxytocin, you know, all the pleasure centers in the brain are firing when we feel part of that collective and we feel valued. Here's the exact language you need to use in order to demonstrate that. You infuse with one of these four things and everything you say, the entire conversation shifts from you to them and their brain starts rewarding them. They start feeling part of that collective. And number one, seek their thoughts and opinions instead of giving yours. In other words, if you're trying to tell a player to do something, instead of saying, hey, you need to do X, Y, and Z, ask them, hey, what do you think the result will be if you do X, Y, and Z? Mm -hmm. That's how you reverse it. Mm -hmm. um, talk in terms of their priorities instead of your own. You know, instead of saying, hey, I want to win this, say, do you want to win this? Is this one of your priorities? And if so, what kind of actions can you take in order to move forward? If you want to be successful being in this, what kind of things can you do? So again, that's talking in terms of their priorities and seeking their thoughts and opinions. Three, validate them without judging them. This, this is, requires a lot of ego suspension. This is demonstrating non-judgmental curiosity about the human being. What kind of journey have they gone on in order to arrive at this place in time in front of you? Because that gives you context. It gives you understanding. And now you understand what you have to work with because everyone brings something along on their journey with them emotionally, physically, psychologically. Mm -hmm. And when you ask those non-judgmental you know, curiosity questions, that helps you. And finally, you empower them with choices. You know, you under, they understand cause and effect of their behaviors from these great conversations you have. And you merely say, hey, you let me know what you want to do in order to move forward and get better. We can do this or you can do that. It's your choice. Go ahead. Just on that last one, then, how important is it that we follow up with uh, an understanding for their rationale as to why they've selected that option or that outcome, if you like? So as a coach... And, and as a leader, it's one of the most important things you're doing is you're being an objective, you know, loving critic for this person's life. Objective meaning that you understand because they've stated to you and you can actually observe the behavior of what they are trying to achieve. And now if you start seeing their behavior and they're making choices that are incongruent uh, mm -hmm. and not aligned with what it is they're trying to do, now you can step in and say, hey, help me understand. Mm -hmm. How is you doing it like this helping you get to here? And again, mm. you're not telling them what to do. You're seeking those thoughts and opinions and giving those awareness questions. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's fascinating because I was literally just having this conversation just yesterday with um, Jerry Lynch. Uh, Jerry Lynch is a sport, uh, you know, sports psychologist and he, and he works with a lot of uh, a lot of coaches out in, in, in a various different sports. And we were just having a fascinating conversation around the, the, the art of questioning and asking questions to maybe extract some of the information from the athlete or the player um, exactly. as opposed to maybe being directive. Uh, and, you know, I was just sharing my experiences in that when I first started coaching, you know, it's more specifically the way that we were, if you're like educated to coach was very much a directive uh, approach that was very much coach led, coach centered, coach driven, coach directed um, and, and, and not overly focused on maybe the holistic development and giving an opportunity for the athletes uh, to be at the center of the development, if you like, or the center of the, the training, the plan or whatever that might be. And my own personal experience, I've kind of gone from one end of the spectrum right to the other. Whereas on this end, I was very much at the start of my journey telling players, I want to see you do this. This is it. I said it. Doesn't matter. No arguments. Just do it. Um, to, where, to where I'm at now is, I have an idea what I want to see. I'm just not going to share that with you. I want to so, know how we're going to get there. I'll give, you an end, I'll give you an end goal of what I want the outcome to look like or what I want the outcome to be, but I'm not going to necessarily tell you what it looks like because then that will then... Uh, I think lend itself to me telling you how I want it done. 
Right. So what you're doing is, you know, you're encouraging without holding their hands. And, yeah. and so, and so these, and so it's, it's a, you know, I just got done reading uh, dichotomy of leadership um, by Jocko with Lincoln, Leif Babin, great examples of doing just these things. And so what you're doing when you're having the player discover their own path and discover it on their own without being directive, you as the leader and coach is building up your, your leadership reservoir of, of goodwill and, and reservoir of power and authority, really. And so what happens is in those moments that you actually do have to be directive, you're taken from your reservoir. You're taken from your reserves in order to exercise that authority. What mm -hmm. happens is when you have leaders and coaches that are using nothing but power and authority all the time, the reservoir is empty. And that's why it, it falls on deaf ears. Mm -hmm. And so using these um, tools and techniques of making the player centered and player focused, you have a full reservoir. So in those rare moments where you do need to be directive in times of stress in the middle of a game or middle of a match or something, you can give the, you know, the directive poke in the eye because your reservoir is full and they're ready to listen, ready to hear. So can I just sh maybe share something with you there and you can kind of really tell me what I'm on the right track of thinking. So that for me would be, and again, I, I use this as an example of what we were talking about yesterday in that I'd have, uh, let's say there's a block of six weeks. Across that six weeks, I'm going into quite a lot of detail around some of these questions and we're really having some in-depth conversations around maybe the understanding of why the players have done it or why the athletes have done a certain motion and the timing and just really getting the understanding of their context and their understanding of that context. And over time, week two, week three, week four, I find myself having less time spent on those questions and those back and forth conversations, but now just referencing, right? Remember when we spoke about this and remember what we said, and again, still maybe being a bit hesitant and being directive about it, but just referencing, right? We said that we we're going to do this when X, Y, Z occurs. Think about what's just happened. That's that moment that we talked about. Yes. Going, uh, is, is that what you're talking about there? Yeah, absolutely. Because what you're doing is, you know, you're starting out by understanding your players, you're understanding your team and, and how to best put them in positions for success by understanding them at that deep level. You're also now exercising training, you know, through good, hard repetition. And the most important part is understanding the why. You need to understand why you're doing it a certain way and why you're doing it. And your players need to understand that why, because as soon as they understand the why, that's when training will kick in. If it's been hard and effective and you can start backing off because they have that mission, they understand you know the repetition. And then you can start asking those instead of being so in depth of understanding them, you've, you're past that. Now you can say, Hey, remember, this is the mission. How do what you just did execute that according to what we're doing? Now move on. And so as you're able to give these spot checks for their execution mm -hmm. and, and most importantly, what you're doing is, is this entire creating this massive entire circle of trust because leadership, whether you're a coach on a field, whether you're in a boardroom, leaders do three critical things and everything we're talking about today has supported one of them. And that is number one is we, we accomplish missions, goals, and objectives. Number two, and that's what we're talking about now, is you create a circle of trust, a circle of safe environments for people to work and live within, because when they have that circle of trust, they don't fear each other. You know, the, the internal competition is, is diminished, so you can focus outwardly on what the outward competition is. And finally, as the leader, you are a resource for their success and prosperity without expectation reciprocity. Mm -hmm. So you give for their success, you help them achieve whatever it is they're trying to achieve. And even if moving on from your team is what is best for them, because it might not just be a good match for skills or, or abilities or something like that. But either way, that creates that circle of trust. The way you communicate using those four things builds it. 
And then as you transition into execution, because you had great effective training and you're able to do these spot checks, that makes this great fluid process of, of it's an empathetic leadership uh, tool, yeah. really. So I guess, you know, if we, if we take it back to the top of the conversation, we talked about you know, the idea of rapport and trust. Um, let's, you know, let's expand on that rapport piece a little bit more and, and maybe understand how do we go about developing that? You know, what, how, what, how do we go about maybe developing a, a better rapport with one another? And more specifically, if you kind of, as that leader, what are some of the things that we can kind of put in place or maybe act out as behaviors, if you like, uh, to encourage a stronger rapport? Sure. Um, I mean, I have the the first book, the 10 techniques to quick rapport. And, and you know, I'm thinking in the coaching standpoint, you know, it, yeah, you know, so, so let's go through a few of them and it, it could it could apply because they because rapport really is the starting point. It's what happens in the first 30 seconds, the first couple minutes of a meeting. Um, first technique in it is establishing time constraints. And so and this is the difference between when you, you walk up to someone at a bar or a pub and say, hey, can I buy you a drink? You know, all of a sudden the shields go up because basically what you're doing is you're taking away their power and control when you are that, that you're assuming I have control of your time. Because human beings were genetically hardwired to act in our own best interests in terms of our safety, security, and prosperity, and a sense of control. So if you establish a time constraint, what you're now doing is you're empowering them with knowing when the end is in sight. So instead of saying, hey, can I buy you a drink? You say, hey, I got to meet my, my, my bros outside in about 30 seconds. Can I ask you a quick question? I'm in the market for a cell phone. What model you have and do you like it? You know, so that's a little less threatening. You're establishing that time constraint. I did it in the world of recruiting spies and, and confidential human sources. So instead of walking up to someone and saying, hey, you want to work for the United States government? Shields up, fear, you know, everyone runs. Suppose, hey, how about this? If you want, why don't we try to get together for maybe two or three cups of coffee over the next month? There's a time constraint. And I'd love to hear about your priorities and interests. I'd love to share mine and see if we're willing to share, exchange any resources in terms of those things. If that sounds good to you, great. If not, let me know and I'll leave you alone. That's a time constraint. On a field, hey, you have a season. You have, you know, like when I was doing football, you had double sessions that were going to last three months. And at the end of, you know, this evaluation period, this is what's going to happen next and what's going to happen next. So what you're doing is you're systematically establishing the time constraints. They know when the end of the light, where the light at the end of the tunnel is for each of these milestones. So continually doing that is a good thing. Using an assistance theme, I love as well, you know, like assistance in a sense of, you know, you, they assist you, you assist them. Again, we're genetically hardwired to want to render assistance to each other to do these things, because that's, we're biologically want to do this in case, you know, like ancient tribal man, 10 guys go out on a hunt, one guy makes a kill that comes back, he knows he better share. Because if he doesn't share, if he gets sick, lame, or injured later on, the likelihood of survival is slim to none. Mm. Um, so that's just a couple of them right off the bat. And I think the most important one to sum them up is I don't want to waste all your time is the last one, which is managing your expectations. And that's really critical for a leader, a coach, or anyone that is, you can exercise all these great skills, tools, and techniques. But at the end of the day, it's the other person that's going to decide how it goes. You know, their, their tempo of absorption, their tempo of operations, their tempo of being able to coach and be able to be led. It's entirely up to them. Mm. And you can you can lead, lead, lead with all these great masterful skills. But at the end of the day, some people might not just be coachable or some people are slower than others. And so you have to really be able to adjust. Yeah, I mean, that's it, a fascinating concept because I, I've always battled with this when I've had so many debates over it. Is it that so is it is it that? There's truly people out there that aren't coachable. Is it just that, as in, you know, if you like, um, they're a nut or a bolt, but we just haven't found the right spanner or screw for them. So the fact you're asking that question 
makes you a really powerful, great leader because great leaders think you will own everything. You know, again, going back to extreme ownership of Jocko and Leif, you know, even this challenge is probably the greatest challenge when to mentor and guide and when is it too late and you just have to fire them, mm. you know, and this is when you give your heart and soul, you, you exhaust every single option, ability, tool, skill, and technique at your disposal. But at the end of the day, they can't execute their role in furtherance of the mission. That's when you just have to cut it. But the great thing is this, if, if it's cut in a way that they know from their perspective, you gave it your all and they give it your all and it's just not a good match. They still leave with not a bad feeling towards you or the organization. It might feel a little down on themselves, but at the same time though, you as a coach is going to communicate to them, Hey, this is just not your skill set here. I discovered along your path, your skill sets lie here, here, and here, here. I can make a couple of calls for you. I can, you know, I can. So again, you're still a resource for their success as they're just not able to move forward with your team. No, definitely. You know, if we, if we track back a few moments as well, you know, you talk about the idea of some of them not being coachable when maybe the the coach or the leader, if you like, are deciding on what the best way to kind of approach an individual or a team might be, you know, it lends itself to this idea of maybe shifting their mindset from being about me as the coach to you as the leader um, so you as the player or the athlete or even the the member of the team if you like um now i've you know maybe shared a bit, a bit of experience around my own journey and how i've kind of maybe moved from it being about me to now it being about the individual in front of me um however if you asked me how did i get there i don't think i would be able to tell you how i think it's just through experience i understood and learned that actually this just feels right this didn't feel like it was being most effective when I was when it was about what I wanted, but when it became about what they wanted, or better yet, when it became about what I wanted, but in a way that benefited and suited their needs, then it became a bit more powerful and it just made more sense to me. So um, I can't tell you the exact moment that I, my mind shifted on that, but I'm curious to know, know, know from your perspective if there's people out there with a mindset of it's it's me, it's all about me, I'm the one in charge, I'm the one I'm the one calling the shots. How do we shift it from that mindset? to actually it's about these guys um that's a tough one to shift because it requires uh external self-awareness and internal self-awareness in order to do that and it really most individual i don't know an individual on this beautiful planet of ours that doesn't require a teacher mentor and guide in their life you know someone who is what i call the loving critic someone who can objectively observe you that you will listen to to help you in those moments where you're blinded by your own ego and vanity you know, so what happens is, is that, you know, especially, you know, a lot of coaches and leaders in higher positions, you know, we, we have these egos. And, and as, if you're successful once, that's when we come, that's when the danger zone really happens. Cause now mm -hmm. you think you're successful because of you, a lot of people have this. And so what happens is, is they, they start getting blinded to the fact that their behavior is impacting the team in a negative way. So they're, they're successful once or twice. So they get more responsibility, more authority, and now they, they, they shift the focus from the team to themselves, and now the team starts not performing. They underperform, and so they think now they have to drop the hammer. They have to be tougher because they thought that's what got them there before because of that ego and vanity when it didn't. So the only thing that these people can do is have someone in their lives or like you and like most of us, you know, you, you conduct your own 
you know, self-reflection after action reports, after every interaction, it really, life requires, matter of fact, one of the things I do when I coach is I, I tell people, you know, start today understanding it's not about you, you know, read some, you know, good meditations by Marcus Aurelius and things like that at noon, reflect on everyone you interacted with for the first half of the day and ask yourself what conversations and dialogues went sideways and what you did to cause it that to happen and then make amends and make it better and then move forward with your day. And so it takes constant reminding that, hey, it's not about me. So if someone has the ability to do that and self-regulate, they will grow. But if not, most of us do require a great teacher, mentor, and guide, or what I call in life a beta tester. You know, my, my wife is the one that is always telling me, hey, you know, are you being a me former or an informer? You know, are you talking about yourself or are you providing content for other people to be successful? You know, so having that kind of mentality and having someone that you will listen to to check your ego is the massive thing that is needed for anyone. Mm. Now you make a great point. And I think some of the questions you start to consider there around, you know, what was the interaction? What was that? What actually is it's really about the process? What actually happened and how, and what part did I play? And I think it's very key to understand that, you know, from, from what I take from that is the outcome is obviously there. But we need to understand how we got to the outcome. And that, right. that part is going to be key, especially if we're now looking to kind of uh, guess, adapt or adjust or amend behaviors off the back of what's just happened. Um, how, I guess, you know, if, now if we put, if we look at it from the other perspective, they're talking about maybe shifting the mindset from within. How do we now, as leaders, start to think about, right, okay, I want to, I want to bring this mindset, um, this mindset shift to the people that I'm leading to help them understand, help them become a bit bit more um, self-sufficient and a bit more self-aware and start asking themselves these questions and essentially make them more curious about their own development and their own, their own experiences, if you like. I think asking those um, continually. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Asking them to reflect on, and actually it's own. They have to own the results of everything in their lives. You know, I think one of the greatest things a, a teacher, mentor, guide, leader can do is help people get over the victim mindset mm-hmm. and get over the, the a concept, especially on a playing field of right and wrong, good or bad. It just is, you know, work through it. What are you going to do about it? So here's what you're faced with. You know, don't ask why certain things are like they are, the better thing to do is ask what, what did you do to cause it? And what are you going to do to resolve it? You know, Mm -hmm. as soon as you're faced with something, I dive in with, Hey, we got, we got a challenge. Let's solve this challenge. I I literally was doing something with a friend the other day. And I did, (laughs) I did a couple, 
So one of the things is I'm a pilot and I was helping move, move an aircraft from one place to another, you know, small planes, rental planes. Um, I'm helping to move uh, an aircraft from one place to another. And we had to start the plane in cold and I boogered the thing up. You know, I, I, you know, I flooded the plane. It was a rookie move. I've, I've done a million times and my mind is like, all right, the plane's flooded. we got to get from point A to point B. I immediately go into, all right, work the problem. You know, I, I suck. No problem. I suck. I owned it. we got to work the problem. Meanwhile, you know, someone else there was just, they, they, they lost their mind for not long, but a few minutes, you know, they, they, ah, you know, one of these moments and, and I'm just looking there and saying, that's not helping. <laughs> no problem. I, I, I own it. You know, there's the vulnerability, there's the ownership and all right, let's work the problem. You know, the problems here, let's work it. And it was literally resolved in I think like 30 seconds, you know? And so again, it's the same thing. So that's what coaches do. You know, they help people not complained about the problem, not ask why something happened. You can analyze, but when you analyze, focus on the what, what actions caused these things to go and what are you going to do from this point forward? You know, we, we had an expression, matter of fact, there's a book about it um, in the Marine Corps called what now, Lieutenant. And that is, Hey, stuff goes sideways. You always have a plan. And especially on an athletic field, the plan never executes the way you want it to. You, you have this big, but as soon as the first round goes down range before, as the first ball is being kicked, whatever it is, the plan goes to hell. So now you the players have to understand what now, what are you going to do about it? Mm. So there you go. No, it's interesting. You, you mentioned that because, you know, in, in, in the way that I work, I like to use this concept of green light moments. Um, and what I, like I mean, what I mean is essentially, you know, you've got your traffic light system, what is a green show for? So green is a good time to go. Well, okay. Well, before we understand it's a good time to go, we're not just looking for the light, but we're correlating the light with with a with a certain number of variables. So it could be that the fact that the traffic's actually stopped, that there is a clear path to cross. Um, but even when we get that green light, we still have to maybe look left and look right to see whether it's safe. There's certain things we're looking out for. However, um, yeah, you know, your amber over here, you know, you could, you, yeah, you could still go on the amber, but you still need to be very vigilant of what's happening around you. So there's that element of risk. Um, it's not saying that we can't do it. It's just saying that we might need to be more considerate of different things and those variables. The red for us is absolutely no, don't do it. Now, I, I, I talk about that to kind of, you know, touch on the idea. So when I'm working with my athletes, I really get them to think, right, what are your green light moments? So you, when do you know it's the right time to do something? So you're saying, what's next, Lieutenant? What's next? Well, actually, you only know what's next once you understand what, I guess, phase of the traffic light system you're currently sitting in. Yep. Well, I know that I can't go because of X. Right, brilliant. So we know we can't go because of X. What might need to change from this current X to make it an amber? what then needs to kind of be changed further or adapted or amended beyond that to then take us to the green. How far are we from that green? At what point can we start to get some um, possible success, but maybe still unlikely? When does it become likely? When does it become very possible and, and almost dead certain, if you like? And, you know, you may never get to dead certain, you may never get to completely impossible, but, it, you know, there's a spectrum to kind of work across. So I guess in, in that process... <laughs> You know, as the leader, as the one looking, you know, if we come back to the idea of developing trust and building rapport, I find from my my own uh, experience that that process and me I help going through those conversations with the athlete in this case, um, it really helps them to build a rapport with me because yep. it's almost that element of, okay, coach is actually trusting me to have the answers. Um, yep. Coach is actually, you know... Uh, and this is another thing. I, I mean, I genuinely believe that 
everyone has the right answers if they're asked the right question. I love that. Yep. Um, so I, I, I'm really, and I think it's so powerful when a person is able to, uh, I've seen it firsthand from my experiences anyway, that I, I think it's so powerful when one of our players or one of our athletes is able to have that feeling that they've come up with the answer, but really I've just asked them the right questions. Yes. But that, that, I, feeling, that feeling stays with them. They've come absolutely. up. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I am the biggest believer and I, I don't consider myself, uh, I, never, I, don't, I do my best all times to never tell people what to do. Hmm. I, ask, I ask what I call discovery questions. If I have a clear understanding of what it is that the mission is, I have a clear understanding of you, your skills, tools, and abilities, and what you're trying to achieve, I can now ask you questions that you can discover your path. Because then therein lies the managing expectations. Hmm. Their ability to do that and their tempo is up to them. You know, and my job is to help you accelerate that tempo as fast as you are able to accelerate the tempo, not according to what I think it should be. You know, now granted, if it becomes incongruent with the mission and objectives that you're trying to achieve, that's a different kind of conversation. We might need more training, might need more repetition, you know, but that's what you're assessing because everyone is different on that. But yes, having people discover their own path is much more powerful for them and for you and for the team in general, because to get those green light moments, you know, you need trust. And that is, they have to trust you first and foremost, that you understand the goals, mission, objectives, and priorities. You've articulated clearly to them so they completely understand it and see it as you see it. And then from there, you know, you have to create that environment where they trust each other to move forward and execute. They have to understand the why behind everything. And so as soon as that team feels safe with each other, they have then the great, hard, impactful training that's going to push their bounds and get that repetition in the need, then to move forward. And then when you actually say go, then they're, then they're moving. And that's those green light moments. Mm, no, definitely. I, 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 totally, I totally see where you're coming from with that as well. I guess, you know, this idea of, you know, trust, is there, is there a way that it can be done where you're building trust, but you're not necessarily, I mean, can you, can you build trust with, if you don't make it about them? Uh, so that's a good question. I don't think I've ever been quite asked it that way before. Um, yeah, no, it's still got to be, but I can't think of a scenario where, where it would now it can, it can happen by accident. It's <laughs> a good way to put it, you know, in that piece there, Brian, by accident, is that because of maybe the status someone has the experience, someone has the credibility that they've got beyond that and not necessarily personal to that person. All right, so I see what you're saying. So, yeah. So, so if you have a reputation and a brand, and you come in, you're going to start with trust, you know, so if you, you know, so like, here's a great example in the United States, Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick, you don't have to like him or dislike him. You know, coaches aren't liked or disliked. They're just either respected or not respected. Cause remember never on, on those, my three pillars of leadership, leaders accomplish mission goals and objectives. They create a safe environment of trust and they are resources for people's success and prosperity. Nowhere in there says you have to be liked Bill Belichick. I would trust him from day one to come in and redo an organization now because he has great brand recognition. He's got a good personal brand. He's got a good a professional brand. Now it's his to lose. And so that, so all these behaviors, if he makes it self-centered, which means he'll start losing, then his brand goes in a tank and trust goes in a tank. So yeah. So someone can come in with that brand ahead of time and have that trust established. But if they come in as an unknown, they got to, they got to do it from scratch. Mm. No, definitely. So I guess, you know, on, you know, if we link it back into the idea of rapport, um, how much of an impact does 
language, body language, culture have on these things in terms of building rapport and trust? Uh, a lot. Body language goes a long way. And when it comes to culture and body language, it, it doesn't matter what the culture is. You just have to communicate in a way that is that is appropriate for the environment in which you're living and working in. Mm. Um, I mean, because I, I worked, you know, I probably worked and interact with probably 22 to 24 different nationalities throughout the course of my career. Because anytime a conflict in the world ever breaks out, um, my job and responsibility in the FBI in the United States is working counterintelligence. We are tasked with interviewing everyone from that country that's here, whether you're on a visa, whether you're on a green card, whether you're an immigrant, all these, whatever status you are, if you're in the United States, our our job is to make a friend and see if we can protect you, U.S. interests domestically and abroad. And there you go. And so if you go in with any kind of preconceived notion of anything, even if you've taken ethnic sensitivity classes or I don't those things are nice, but it still comes down to the individual. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have to understand that individual. And so if an individual's culture and body language are appropriate, that you just have to adjust to that. But in general, um, body language that is really good to display most of the time to instill trust is good, open, non-ventrals, um, head tilt, smiling. Um, granted, if, if the coach thinks they have to have a presence where they don't smile, that's okay. But at least you can be open and accommodating. Hands up, you know, basically the body's out and up saying, I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm listening to your words. I'm observing your actions. In other words, body language can demonstrate that it's about them rather than you. Because mm -hmm. if you use a lot of overbearing directive type body language, Every time you use it, remember that reservoir of, of power and authority that a leader has gets diminished every time. Every time you get directive, your eyebrows compress, your lips compress, you lean in, you, you, you square up, you hands down, going right at their face like this. Hmm. Every time you do that, you're going to get a reaction. But every, and if you don't have that reservoir full because you've used all that good language all the other times, hmm. it's going to go nowhere. No, definitely. You know, I'm just thinking about now. So you know, your experience and your journey and your and your expertise, and surely you've you know you've uh, you've probably been in some intensely pressurized situations um, yeah, for different reasons, obviously outside the sporting context. Um, would you mind maybe sharing an example where you've had to kind of under intense pressure, maybe to describe and talk us through first of all what the situation was, with obviously without you know without giving any way um, sure details that you're not meant to share with us, of course, but um, Maybe talk through how you were able to maybe, maybe remain calm and composed under pressure, but still able to build the rapport and trust in that moment. Yeah. So, um, actually, I'll, I'll use so my last book called Sizing People Up. Uh, it kicks off. So I was in my time in, in the FBI, I started in New York City in Manhattan uh, from 97 to around 2005. So I was there during 9 11. And again, I, I, my, most of my career was recruiting Russian spies. I had a Russian focus, but after 9 11, everyone worked the Middle East. And I had about four and a half years in the FBI at that time. You know, my office was about five blocks world, uh, away from the World Trade Center. I'd counted eight people jumping um, from the North Tower before the South Tower got hit. Um, so I was right there. And I had contacted one of my confidential human sources, people that helped us, you know, recruit spies. Uh, he had been, he helped us for years and years uh, working Russians. And so I contacted and said, hey, in the book, I call him Leo, because I change all the names up in countries to protect people uh, and national security. And also it's written in the book. So it all got cleared too. Um, yeah, but I, I contacted Leo and said, hey, Leo, uh, it's time to work the Middle East. Uh, help. And literally about two weeks later, he came up with someone who was a close relative of a leader of a Middle Eastern country. I had never worked Middle East before. Uh, anyway, this individual said he's a close relative and he could 
we're basically creating a back channel of information between our country and their country outside of CNN and Fox News and politics so that we could get ground truths for decision of policymakers. And so here I am, I got four and a half years in the bureau. Um, can I trust my source? Can I trust this new individual actually say he is who he says he is? And how do I get my management to trust me? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, with, with four and a half years, you know, to do things that might be impacting national security. And that's literally a, a, at one point war between two Middle Eastern countries during that same year. Um, it took looking at these, I have these six signs for assessing trustworthiness and others. And, and the first one, which both of them demonstrated very well is the sign of vesting. And investing on the field is the same thing. Do they see their success tied with your success, you know, by their actions, words, and deeds? And so both these individuals saw that, you know, aligning and working together with me was great for their success and prosperity from them for their selves in their countries as well as mine. Go ahead. You had a question. Yeah. Is that because they maybe had a, a good level of clarity on what it is that you were trying to achieve in the first place? Absolutely. So there lies goes back. Let's go back to transparency, which is one of the bedrocks of trust. Absolutely. So I was clear and uh, clear and not obtrusive, transparent with my goals, objectives and priorities. They were likewise demonstrating the same thing. So that's another great sign of trust is full transparency on their part. So they had signs of vesting. They had signs of longevity, which is another sign. In other words, they didn't see the relationship as transactional. In other words, hey, you're going to be a player on the team just for today and then you're gone. I mean, what kind of performance are you going to get out of someone like that? Unless they think they were trying to vie for a position on the team, yeah. you know, so looking for signs of longevity. I'm looking for reliability. They can actually do and say what they is on their resume and they have the tenacity and wherewithal to follow through on it. Now I'm looking for language from them. So we talked about the four things you need to do to demonstrate trust and um and value, and that is seeking their thoughts and opinions, talking in terms of their priorities, validating them and giving them choices. I want them, I'm looking for them using that language with me. Mm. Then the final one I'm really looking for, emotional stability, emotional self-awareness. You know, in other words, this is where that transparency comes in that I mentioned before is do they maintain calm, cool, and collected under stress and ask themselves, all right, here's what is going on. What do I need to do about it? And what, what actions can I take to move forward with the objectives? Or do they get emotionally hijacked and full of, you know, resentment, frustration, anger? I'm looking for that emotional stability. So those are the things that I, I had during those, that time. Um, I had to quickly assess these two individuals for the information they're giving me. I then had to do these behaviors with my bosses uh, to have them trust me. In other words, I had to understand very clearly what their goals, objectives, and priorities were, including their politics about how they wanted to get promoted, things they're willing to do and the risk they're willing to take to get promoted or not get promoted. And I had to mitigate all those things when presenting what it is I wanted to do with these two mm -hmm. individuals. I mean, it was a, you know, for someone with nine, four and a half years in, it was a great learning moment, no doubt. <laughs> no, definitely. And I guess, you know, just within that then, you talk about the clarity and it lends me back to this, this uh, I guess, statement I always make it, you know, a question I always ask, especially in my space, working as a coach educator and I, and I work through a range of coaches and support them and helping them develop and mentor them through that process. And the question I always leave them with is, you have a message, just remember whose responsibility it is to communicate that message and make sure the message is understood. Um, and if you remember that, then you'll understand that every time you, you you are delivering that message, whether the context might be the same thing again and again and again, but you need to communicate in the way the person in front of you is going to understand it. So you can't rely on, a, a, I guess, a textbook response. You have to Absolutely. keep it from what's in front of you. And I think um, that for me is around some of that stuff that you're talking about there and understanding the motivation of the person in front of you, if you like. 
and yeah. a, a framing in a way that again that hits them well. It is, and you stated it perfectly. You have to own the why. Mm. It is completely your goal, objective, and ultimately responsibility for your people to understand the why. Mm. And if you have to communicate, it's called situational uh, leadership. You know, every individual hears differently. And it's your job to communicate in a way that that individual hears so the entire team understands the same thing in their own special way if needs be to move forward. And that is ultimately your responsibility. So that's exactly spot on. Great. 100%. And I think, you know, just off, off, you know, to build on that one further is some of the things that you can maybe do to kind of identify what might be the best way to approach them. And I think, you know, this is, in my opinion, a lot of coaches and maybe leaders generally, and you may be able to comment on this further, but just simple as asking, right, Robin, you're now part of this team, but how do you like to be coached? Yep. I, so our, um, one of our directors of the FBI, when he took over, he actually went office to office across the entire FBI and asked that field office how we need to be led. Right. And what was good was people came up with a lot of um, fascinating questions that were, you know, kind of snarky and, and a little self-serving. And he had a great re response to it. And he goes, and he laughed and would chuckle and goes, Hey, this is a good question. Now, is this, are you asking on behalf of yourself or are you asking on behalf of an organization? Is this going to help you or is it going to help the team? Mm. That question shut a lot of people up. <laughs> it was a great way to do it though. A hundred percent. I think, you know, and I think that question is not only a great way to do it, but I think it's, it's a question that can maybe allow people to stop and think for a second. Actually, was I thinking about anyone else when I just said that? Right. Not, and, and not necessarily just assuming that the person's coming from that perspective, if you like. And you know, I, I, I turn around and say to the coach, you know, it's okay to ask the athletes or it's okay to ask the players. It's okay to ask everyone how they want to be led, how they want to be coached. Because at the end of the day, you have to do it in a way that's right for them. Right. Now, that doesn't mean you as the coach or the leader or the, or the you know, the, the founder or the organization, if you like, doesn't have the direction that you want to go in. You've got your direction. You've got your vision. But it's the journey on the way there that might be different to how you maybe initially set out because the people on the boat or people on the train aren't the ones that you expected to be there. Well, they're not the ones that you planned for. Right. Um, so I think it's just having that in the back of your mind as, as a coach or a leader. You know, having the direction is good, but you're leading other people. And those other people don't have the same mindset as you or the same experiences and the same characteristics as you. Yeah. And, and the thing I, I, I've read a lot of um, recently that is saying exactly the same thing and reinforcing it and, and is including, you know, my son is at the Naval Academy right now and they had just had Jocko um, with Link, you know, on a podcast, uh, you know, a, a thing there. And what my son commented on was that these great coaches and leaders, they actually focus on the small things but with a lot of intensity, you know, and so, and when you smoke, focus on the small things, you master them with a lot of intensity and a lot of expertise that, that adds up to mission success. And it's, it's like, you, you know, you think that these great leaders are making these massive, bold leaps forward. No, it just looks like that at the end. What actually happened was they were masters of the small. Uh, and so that's what the team did. Everyone knew the roles and responsibilities and they sprinted with every effort they had five steps. <laughs> and then uh, they, 100%, I think just one one thing kind of to look even beneath that as well is that they've sprinted and they've looked at those small things but they've also identified actually what's Robin's skill set what's Yas's skill set absolutely what, and building a uh, 
building the vehicle to the to the end end goal, if you like, around the strengths of what who's in the vehicle, if you like. Yep. And, and really, you know, it's that whole it's all that whole piece around breadth versus depth. Actually, I'm going to really laser focus on these bits here because these are the bits that are really going to help my people the most rather yep. than actually be a jack of all trades, if you like. And I think that 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 piece is probably quite key in that process as well. Um, and, you know, Robin, it's, it's fascinating to kind of, you know, hear from your perspective and obviously try and draw some comparisons to that and maybe the sporting world around how we go about developing this rapport and trust. And it's been a thoroughly enjoyable conversation for me and I'm sure, and I'm hoping, I hope it has been for you. And I'm sure we can sit here for hours and talk about this stuff. Um, love it it just really gets me thinking and I, I you know i've got so many more questions i feel like i want to get out there but i am conscious of time um but you know just to kind of as, as we look to wind down then you know if you wouldn't mind maybe wrapping up some key tips and uh, uh, steps that maybe some of our listeners and viewers can maybe take on board with them and think about applying in their own journeys and you know whether that be in the sporting world or whether that just be you know just generically yep uh so so I have I have three things that I love to share with everyone that people can start thinking about and doing immediately when they're listening to this. Number one is uh, one of the most common questions that I think a lot of people always ask is, hey, what would you tell your 20-year-old self all those years ago that would have made a difference in your life? And so this is the first thing. Instead of trying to make myself look good, <laughs> discover the jobs of everyone around me and figure out how to make them look good. In other words, how do I, if I could reverse it all those years ago and looked to be a resource for the success of those people around me, that would have been a fascinating difference that would have made, you know, a lot of difference, you know, for this type A kind of hard charging self-centered guy. And now in order to do that, if you start doing these two things in every aspect of your life, one, seek the greatness of others. Instead of looking for what people are doing wrong, look at what they're doing right. Find that greatness because it's guarantee we're all doing something wrong. Don't worry about it. Give yourself a positive confirmation bias. Look for the greatness in others and you will find it. And they will see you looking for it, seeking it and understand it. That's great. And the second thing is look and understand their priorities, their goals, wants, dreams, and aspirations. What in life are they trying to achieve? And what are you going to do to make it easier for them to do that? How are you going to be a resource for them? You start doing those few things like that. You don't have to start doing anything different in your life. You just start becoming a lot more aware of the people around you and what you can do to impact their lives in a positive way. And that's what great teachers, mentors, coaches, guides, and leaders do. They become a resource for those around them. Their own situational awareness builds. They understand what they're trying to achieve. And now they understand the resources they have around them to get the team moving forward. Whammo. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And you know, you, you, I think it's very good that, you know, you, and very important that people do start asking themselves these questions to become a bit more self-aware and understand how they can impact others. And coming back to that first one, and a question I ask a lot of my guests that come on this show, um, um, maybe more specifically the guests that are, are coaches in the sports field. And, you know, I often ask them, you know, whether it's been 10, whether it's been 15, 20, or however many years they've been working in their field, if they had an opportunity right now to go back to the start of their own coaching journeys, and ask them and, and offer them one you know one piece of advice to that person who started that journey, knowing what they don't know, what would that be? And I think that reflection piece is key because like you said, we've all done things that are wrong and it's never gonna change. There's always but you know, but I think there's a lot of good and I think we need to start catching people doing it, it, it good and give ourselves more credit for the things that we have learned and understood and developed over, over that time and the build up of that will get you know, that that's that little one percent. Every other day that one percent. Um, no, so I think that's fascinating stuff. Um, 
Robin, again, look, it's been a pleasure for me uh, to have this conversation with you. Like I said, I'm really sure we could sit here for hours and go on, go on about it. But um, would you mind maybe just sharing a bit of insight around your book and, you know, just for, for the listeners that are um, listening to this and the viewers, yeah, sure. they wanted to maybe get in, get in touch with you to learn a bit more about the work that you do and maybe the conversation we've had and maybe go into a bit more detail on that, um, sure. where they can maybe get in touch with you. Yep, sure. Uh uh, easiest thing to go do is go to my website. It's called peopleformula.com, all one word, peopleformula.com. On there, you can go from anything where I post the podcast that I'm on, on a page. I have my own um, YouTube channel. I have online training, coaching, it scales up. Uh, and most important thing, I think, if you're looking for some great reflections every day, I actually do a thing called a book study where a lot of people don't have the time to read that I do. I am a massive lover of reading. And part of, again, my mission and my company's mission is to continue to learn and educate in all these areas that we've been talking about today. So I actually go through lots of books and I do daily postings that get funneled into the website. Um, and actually they're on my LinkedIn page, my Instagram page. I am all over social media. And also you can reach out to me through my website as well. It's very easy. I mean, you reach out to me via LinkedIn. It's easy to get in touch with me and I'm very communicative. I mean, if you have a, a need want and I can be a resource for you, reach out. I'm happy to share. So I uh, just encourage everyone to do that. Oh, and also if you do subscribe to the website um, with the next uh, couple of weeks, you get 25% off of any of the online training or coaching too. So just a little bonus. Amazing. Just to kind of delve a little bit deeper into that, what, what kind of um, opportunities have you got there in terms of the online training? What, what, what kind of... Uh, Sure. Um, so, you know, obviously we have webinars and in-persons. We're getting to that finally again. But uh, the Online Training Academy, it's a... Uh, I have three books out. The first one is the, it's not all about me to 10 techniques, quick rapport. So I have a, a short course and a longer course, but based on that self-paced um, that you can take online. Um, second one is on the code of trust, which is my book on leadership and the five steps to building rapport and trust, which is the evolution from rapport. You have trust. Again, you have a short version, long version of that then sizing people up, which is assessing trustworthiness and the behaviors of others, which is uh, another short and long course. I have an insider threat course and you can bundle them all together or you can do the one-on-one -on -one code and that offer also as well, also offer as well. Uh, so lots of things for different folks for whatever your needs are. Awesome. Well, look, Robin, look, thank you very much for that. You know, it's been a thoroughly enjoyable conversation for me. Uh, I'm sure the listeners and, uh, and viewers will probably probably will get in touch or at least check your work out um, as a minimum, if not buy your books. Um, <laughs> again, you know, hopefully have a, a very lovely day today. Um, and have a great day, you man. Too, Coach S. Thank you for you too. And hey, th and thanks for making a difference in all the lives that you touch. I mean, you, you're obviously great at what you do. You're passionate. You care. And so, thank you for what you do. Yes, I'm just trying to build that rapport. You see, I <laughs> did <a> good job. <laughs> well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. 
McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Hamburglar, the time is yours. Bravo, bravo. He said, these are McDonald's best burgers ever. And then, can I keep them? And then he just grabbed them and ran away. Brabble. Now get a Big Mac or Double Cheeseburger for two bucks in the app. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Must opt into rewards. Visit McD app for details. Available at most restaurants in this area. Comparison of McDonald's classic burgers to prior burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.